Hello, friends. Welcome to Read em and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. And as you may have noticed, I didn't put out an episode last week. I was on vacation with the family. I actually had full intentions of recording a podcast whilst on vacation, but you know, we were just busy. It ended up not happening. I do apologize. Certainly not for vacationing with the family, but for not putting out an episode. One of the things I've tried to do very consistently with this podcast is put out a new episode every Monday. You know, I've listened to a lot of poker podcasts in my day. And the two things that the podcasts that I've listened to, things that I hate about them, number one, is that they don't put out content consistently. And then number two is that they're overly long and drawn out. You know, it's like an hour long plus podcast and, you know, 20 minutes is spent on rudimentary preflop decisions. I try not to do that. Certainly, I can get a little long-winded and overly pedantic at times. I know that. But for the most part, I try to keep the episode short and crisp and put them out every week. Now, this is episode 16 of Read em and Weep. We've put out one a week, which means that we've been going for about four months. I've only missed one other week, and that was uh, another week where I was on vacation with my family. And that week, I did a bonus episode to make up for it. And so we are going to do the same thing this week. In a couple of days, I will be dropping a bonus episode with the first ever guest on Read em and Weep. It's a gentleman that you probably know very well. I'm going to hold back who it is, and we call that in the business a teaser. So I had a great time on vacation in San Diego. It was filled with good food and zoos and theme parks and sun, and it was just an amazing time. However, one of the days I did sneak out late at night to put in a session at a new card room, Seven Mile Casino, just south of San Diego proper in Chula Vista. It's actually a card room that I've never been to before. And if you know anything about me, you might find that a little surprising, seeing as how I lived in San Diego for 17 years and used to play poker for a living. But I mean, the reason is, is that I played online mostly and I lived in North County, San Diego. So anytime I went and played live, it was at Ocean's Eleven. Uh, in Oceanside. So I've actually never been to Seven Mile. And one of the things I've really tried to be conscious about is whenever I go to a new place, trying to play at new card rooms, A, for the experience and you know, B, I, I love to collect chips and I'm creating kind of a cool collection from all the different card rooms I've been in. So I thought that late night, one of the nights I would sneak down to Seven Mile, put in a short session, get me a chip and, and see how the card room was. I actually really liked it. I didn't play too long. I played from about a little after 9 p.m. to a little after midnight. So like a three-hour session, not too long. But I did play a couple of interesting hands in that session. And I'm going to give two of them to you today. One of them that I played pretty good and one of them that I played not so good. So I hope you guys like it. Here we go. Okay, so hand one. We are playing 5-5 five, five at 7 Mile. It's got a 1K max buy-in. We bought in for the max about, I don't know, like a 45 minutes ago, won a couple of pots, so we're up to about 1,300. And in this hand, we're in the small blind. So middle position opens to 20, and middle position is the main villain in this hand. He has 765 in front of him. He recently lost a pot where he was caught bluffing 300 on the river with air got snap called with a guy with top pair of aces with a shite kicker. And then the guy like talked a bunch of shit to him, which was absolutely hilarious. Middle position has shown to be pretty loose and active, obviously willing to bluff a little bit. Um, and he opens to 20. 
the cutoff is this solid lady. Um, she's been playing pretty close to the vest. She calls, and I'm in the small blind with queen jack offsuit with the jack of spades. The jack of spades ends up being relevant here. So small blind, queen jack offsuit. I would normally fold this hand. I just don't, even though queen jack is a, is a pretty decent hand, playing offsuited connecting cards out of position is just, is just not a profitable spot. It's a spot that I think most people call because it's pretty cheap. But in general, I, I just don't think it's profitable. And usually I just want to three bet the hand or fold it. So I decide to do something a little out of the norm and call here because the big blind is the fish at the table. He is definitely the spot. He has been stacked like twice since I got there. He has no clue what he's doing. He's playing like 90% of hands and just like, you know, stacking off with ridiculous hands. So I know he's obviously going to call this raise and I want to be able to be in a pot with him. I have a pretty decent hand with Queen Jack. So I decide I'm going to call and just not get in too much trouble with it if things don't go well. So I call the 20 and the big blind predictably calls the 20 and we go four ways to a flop and the flop is king nine four with two spades. So king nine four with two spades with our queen jack with the jack of spades we flop a gutter ball and a backdoor flush draw. So I lead with the check and now the big blind checks to the original raiser in middle position and the original raiser bets 40 into 80. Now the cutoff calls the 40 and man, you know, I, I'm drawing to the nuts. Obviously a 10 makes me the nuts straight, but there's only three tens in the deck that make me the nuts because the 10 of spades will put the three card flush out there. So I think I can absolutely fold here. I probably should fold, but you know, I'm getting pretty good odds and I think the big blind's going to be in there and I can win a pretty big pot if I bink the 10. So I call the 40. And the big blind, of course, calls the 40 as well. So we all go to the turn, and the turn comes the eight of spades, putting a third spade on board. So it's king, nine, four, eight with three spades. So we have queen, jack, offsuit with the jack of spades. We retain our gutter ball, and we also have a jack of spades flush draw now. So we check again, and the big blind checks to the original razor. And now the original razor bets again, but he bets pretty small. He bets 80 into 240. The lady in the cutoff folds and it gets back to us. And I actually think this is a pretty cool spot for a check raise bluff. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, because we hold the jack of spades. So we hold a blocker to the flush. And it A, means that we can have a lot of flushes. And then B, it means that it's very hard for our opponents to have a lot of flushes. Because... It blocks hands like queen jacks of spades, king jack of spades, ace jack of spades, jack ten of spades. It blocks a lot of the combinations of flushes that people would be playing. Furthermore, it's really credible that I have a flush here if I raise, right? I check called the flop, then the turn came out the third spade, and I check raised big. This all makes a ton of sense to me. So I decide to go for it. He bet 80, and I check raised to 280. The fish in the big blind gets out of the way, and now it's just me and the original razor. And he goes pretty deep into the tank, and he ends up calling, which we fucking hate, of course. But now we're in a situation where he's only got half the pot left, right? The pot after his call is 800, and he only has like 425 behind. So I actually think to myself, okay, I'm done here. I took the shot, and he ended up calling. 
the challenge is that even though he doesn't have a ton of flushes here, because I block again a number of the flushes he can have, he has some strong hands that just aren't going to go away on the river because he's only got a half pot behind. He's probably going to call off with his like ace kings and his two pairs like nine eight or king nine suited or sets like sets of nines and sets of fours, things like that. He just doesn't have enough money for me to put too much pressure on him on the river. So when he calls this bet, we're pretty much done with the hand. Hell of a run. We gave it a shot. But the river comes in offsuit 10, making us the nuts straight. So again, we have queen jack with the jack of spades and it runs out king nine four with two spades, the eight of spades, and now an offsuit 10. So there's three spades out there. We make the nuts straight. And I think, okay, do we jam here or do we check fold or do we check call? And I think pretty clearly after thinking about it for a minute that jamming is absolutely the play. Certainly sometimes we're beat. Sometimes he actually does have a flush. We don't block all the best flushes, right? We don't block the ace or the king or the queen of spades. And certainly he could have those hands the way the hand has been played. However, just like my logic for not bluffing the turn or not bluffing the river if I missed is the same reason why I should be jamming. Because when he has sets or two pairs or an ace-king that he just doesn't want to get rid of because he's tilted because you know he got caught bluffing before and that guy talked shit to him or whatever, I want to be able to get value from those hands. If I check, he actually gets to play perfectly. He gets to jam when he has me beat with a flush, and then he gets to just check back and get a free showdown when he has sets and two pairs and strong top pairs. And I never end up getting value from them. So I think jamming is absolutely correct. And I do jam because we hit this miracle straight on the river and he beats me in the pot. Snap calls it. We don't love that. And we just sheepishly turn over our straight and he shows the king high flush. He has king six of spades and we get stacked. All right. All right. So did we play this hand good or did we play this hand bad? I'd say a little bit of both. I think I really screwed up this hand at the beginning, right? I told you all my sweet smelling reasons for calling a raise out of position with queen jack offsuit. Those are shit reasons, my friends. Those are shit reasons. Uh, We've had a number of hands on this podcast lately where if I just had played a little more solid preflop and not gone out of my way to try to get in pots with fish and this and that and gone out of my normal construction, I wouldn't have lost a bunch of money. And yet it happened again right here. I think the queen jack offsuit is just a fold. You can three bet it occasionally at some frequency, but I like using the suited varieties better for three bets because you can barrel and bluff post flop with them a lot better. This hand's just a fold pre flop. Instead, I get involved and it's a four way pot and I have the worst position. And then I think calling with the gutter on the turn is also a bad idea. Again, I'm out of position. So even if I hit the hand, It's harder for me to make a lot of money, but the reality is when there's a flush draw out there, you don't want to be drawing for gutter straights, even if you're getting a pretty decent price. So both pre-flop and the flop were were shitty plays. I actually don't mind turning my hand into a semi-bluff on the turn. When he bets one-third pot, I think that a lot of times he can have hands like two pairs and and strong top pairs like ace-king with a spade or king-queen with a spade, hands like that that he wants to continue getting value from and kind of quote unquote, see where he's at with a one per one third pot sized bet. Uh, when the bluff does not work, I think it's fine to shut down the river until 
we hit the nut straight. And in that situation, I think jamming is a good play. So did I play this hand poorly? I think so, because I lost $765 by playing pre-flop and flop in a way that I shouldn't. The later streets, again, I played fine. I'm fine with bluffing here. Like, I think it's great. The, the reality is not all your bluffs are always going to work. Sometimes gunfighters get shot and that's okay. But in this situation, I just don't think I should have been in the gunfight to begin with. And I blasted off $765 being a fucking idiot. Fire me into the sun. I mean, come on, man. How many times am I going to do this? <laughs> it feels like a lot. Obviously, the times that I do it, pretty much at 100% frequency, I'm putting them on the podcast. So I don't want to give you guys the idea that I'm doing this all that often. But when I do, I'm mad at myself. It's it's stupid. And you know, I'm always just thinking how much higher my win rate could be if I didn't have these transgressions where I turn into a donkopotamus. You know, it sucks. It really does suck to suck. I I deserve to be put in a catapult and launched into the goddamn sun. I mean, I'm here at this new casino. I'm having a good time. I'm up a couple hundred bucks. Things are going to go great. You know, I'm only here for a couple hours. I'm going to book a win. Everything's going to be super. And instead, I just turn into the world's biggest donkey and burn up a stack of chips. We fucking hate it. So we're mad at ourselves but we make up for it a little bit in this next hand. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. So earlier in the episode, I told you that I was going to do two hands from the seven mile session in San Diego. However, Between the time that I recorded the first hand, I was going to record the second hand later, I ended up going and playing a session at the California Grand, my hometown casino, and I ended up playing a hand that was so fucking cool that we're calling on Audible, we're putting it on the podcast right now. It's like 12.30 a.m., I just got back from this session, and this hand, like I said, was just so cool that that we are putting it in here. So here we go. We are playing 2-3-5. We are in early position with Queen Jacket Clubs. We've been playing, I don't know, maybe like 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. Up a couple hundred bucks, uh, maybe 12, 1300 in front of us. And we open our queen jacket clubs to 25 from early position. The button calls. And the button is this dude. He's he's like a total douche bro. He's like, you know, big biceps, tight shirt. He's wearing sunglasses like a fucking squid. And he has been playing really fast and wild. Like, He's V-pipping more than 50% of hands for sure. V-pipping just means voluntarily putting money in the pot. So he's playing more than half of the hands. He has been bluffing. He showed down several bluffs just in the, the short time I've been there. He's just really in the action a ton. So he calls the 25 and the big blind also calls the 25 and we go three ways to the flop. Again, we have queen jack of clubs and the flop comes king nine eight with the eight of clubs. So we flop a gutter to the nuts, a 10 will give us the nut straight, and then we have backdoor clubs. The big blind leads off with a check. And if you've been listening to this podcast a lot, we've actually run into a number of hands uh, kind of in this similar situation where I really like to check a lot in this spot, even with some of my strong hands. And then I like to kind of split uh, between check calling and check raising and then check folding my, my junk. But I like to check here, even with some of my strong hands. And if the flop ends up checking through, that's totally fine. 
So I end up checking with the idea that if the button bets, I'm going to check raise, but he does not oblige and he checks back and the flop checks through. So the turn comes the three of clubs, giving us four clubs to go with our straight draw gutter. So it's king, nine, eight with one club and then the three of clubs and we have queen jack of clubs. The big blind checks and this is a great situation for us, right? We have four to the flush. We have a gutter to the nuts as well. And more importantly, both players have checked. The big blind has now checked twice and the button checked behind on the flop, meaning that we are almost never going to see a king out of either of these players. And certainly, you know, the same goes for sets and two pairs. Almost certainly we would have seen bets come in with those hands at some point. So this is a great chance just to bet and take it down with our very little showdown value and good equity. I bet 55 into 75. And the button, of course, does not go away. He calls the 55. The big blind folds and we go heads up to the river. And, you know, I guess we just had too many goddamn outs because we miss them all. The five of spades comes on the turn. We brick everything. We're left with our dick in our hand with queen high. So again, it's king, nine, eight, three, five. So we have queen jack. We miss everything. And I'm sitting here thinking, is it worth trying to bluff here? And I finally arrive on no. And the reason is, is because even though the way I construct my ranges, I actually will have some somewhat strong hands in this situation in this line. The button doesn't know that. Like he just knows that I checked the flop. And so from his perspective, I'm sure it seems like it's unlikely to him that I have a big hand. So I actually don't think a bet here gets rid of, you know, a pair of nines or a pair of eights or something like that. I think he actually calls with those hands at a pretty high frequency. And uh, yeah, I just I just don't think it's worth it's worth bluffing here. It's just not that credible. So I just decide to check and give up. And now the button quickly bets 100 into the pot. And I'm actually surprised by this bet. And so I count out 100 from my stack. You know, they, they at the California Grand, they don't have 25s, they have 20s. So I just pick up five black chips and start playing with them. And the moment I do that, he puts his hand across the line with his cards in it like he's going to flip them over. Okay, that's interesting. And I really go into the tank here and I'm like, okay, this does not seem like he should have a lot of really strong value. Again, if it was king nine, eight, then three, five. If he had something like a set or two pair by the turn, I'm sure he would have raised, right? He wouldn't have checked behind the flop. And if he did, he would have raised the turn. So essentially what this guy is saying is that the five helped him. It doesn't really make sense that he would make this strong bet here with just a pair of nines or a pair of eights. That that doesn't really track, right? So certainly the five could have helped some of his hands. It could have helped a hand like, I think the obvious one is six, seven, right? King, nine, eight, three, five. He could have had six, seven and hit a straight on the river. Maybe he has a hand like 8-5 suited or 9-5 suited and made two pair. I, I certainly think this is a guy that would have played those hands. So now the question is, are there any hands that missed that I actually beat? And I think the answer might be yes. He can have a couple of different missed straight draws that I actually beat. He can have 10-7 for a flopped open ender or flop jack 10 for a flopped open ender. He can also have lower clubs than I have. So he can have hands like six, four clubs or four deuce of clubs, or 
I mean, the guy's really wide. You know what I mean? He can have 10 six of clubs or, you know, 10 four of clubs. I, I think he will be playing hands like that from the button. So there's actually quite a few hands that I actually beat. Now, the problem is there's also some bluffs that I lose to, like the ace high clubs, things like that. But again, I have the queen of clubs and the king of clubs would have made top pair, which would have bet at some point. So really the only missed flush draw that beats me is the ace x of clubs. The additional factor that I'm starting to think about is, is this guy's live tell. You know what I mean? Like team live tells. Uh, I, I'm not somebody that really uses live tells a whole lot. I think they're fairly unreliable, but, you know, sometimes they're not. And in my experience, when this guy, you know, puts his hand over like he's going to show it the moment I grab the chips, it's almost like he's wanting to deter me from calling. So I'm like, shit, all right. I'm kind of thinking that there are enough hands in his range. I think he might bet and try to bluff the, the type of player that he is. I think he might try to bluff with every missed draw that he had. So if he's bluffing with all these missed draws, man, I mean, it's it's 100 to call 285. So I, I really only need to be good a little more than a quarter of the time for this to be a plus EV call. Now, the other question is, is it worth check raise bluffing and trying to get him off weak hands? And I think the answer that I arrive at is no, because... If he has a straight or two pair, he's just going to call. And I don't think he's betting any weak marginal one pair. So I don't think check raise bluffing really accomplishes much for me. So it's really a matter of just call or fold. And I just think, man, this guy's got so many fucking missed draws. Fuck it. I'm just, I'm just going to put the money in. And I stick in the hundred bucks. And this guy flips over Jack 10 offsuit for Jack high. I turn over my queen high, queen jack, and there's just silence at the table. Everyone's like looking at it like, wait, what the fuck? Like no, nobody, everyone's like, oh, am I seeing this right? Like what's going on? Even the dealer, you know how they kind of push the, the best five cards up? The dealer pushes the cards up and he's like looking at the hands and he's confused. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, oh shit, he called with queen high. And everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah. And I win the fucking pot. This guy is forced to hand over the deed and title to his soul because I now own him. I mean, happy Father's Day to me because, man, I'm this guy's daddy now. And no joke, the guy's like totally tilting. Like somebody else says, dude, what a nice call, great call. And the guy's like muttering, oh, it's a fucking lucky call, you know, this and that. And he ended up racking up. Uh, like a couple hands later, he just racked his chips up and bounced. I mean, he just just fucking got banished to the shadow realm. It was just so great. It's been a long time since I owned somebody that hard. It was it was pretty special, pretty spectacular. Please allow myself to congratulate myself. Obama putting a medal on himself. Dot meme with my face photoshopped onto both Obamas. Very proud of this one. Um, super cool hand. Uh, again, I'm just like so excited. I had to like come home and record this and share it with you guys. I hope you liked it. I, I, ho I hope it was as fun for you as it was for me, or at least close. Again, uh, I apologize for not getting an episode out to you guys last week. But like I said, I'm going to make it up to you with the first ever guest on the history of Read em and Weep, somebody who I'm very excited to have on. We will drop that episode in a couple of days. So my friends, as always, I really appreciate you listening. And until the next time, play good and run pure.